0: Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and
1: give you hope for today.
0: My hope is built on nothing less
1: than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold. Away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Some of you may have recognized the first verse from the hymn, The Lost Sheep, also known as the Ninety and Nine, written by Elizabeth Cleffin that I just read. The man who wrote the music for this hymn was Ira Sankey, and he was also the song leader for the famous man I want to tell you about today. Dwight L. Moody is one of my favorite preachers of all time. You know, I'm always telling you about something or reading you about someone that is written up in the One Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. You can believe me when I tell you that D.L. Moody has been written up for several things and on several different days in that book. I am going to share some of the stories about Moody's life that I hope will give you a glimpse into his life and his heart, and you will see why I think so much of this preacher from the 19th century. Moody was born in Northfield, Massachusetts in 1837 into a bricklayer's family. His father died when Moody was four, leaving nine children for his mother Betsy to raise. His mother never encouraged Dwight to read the Bible, and he only acquired the equivalent of a fifth-grade education. He struck out on his own at age 17 and sold shoes in his uncle's Boston store. He also attended YMCA and Sunday School classes where he became a Christian at age 18. Shortly after that, he moved to Chicago where he sold shoes and worked toward his goal of amassing a fortune of $100,000. It slowly dawned on Moody that in light of his new faith, his life should not be spent on amassing wealth as much as on helping the poor. In 1858, he established a Mission Sunday School at North Market Hall in a slum of Chicago. It soon blossomed into a church, from which six years later, another church was formed and now the Moody Church, I'm sure. Most of you have heard of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. By 1861, he had left his business to concentrate on social and evangelistic work. He drew the children of the German and Scandinavian immigrant underclass to his mission with candy and pony rides and he drew the adults through evening prayer meetings and English classes. He was convinced, if you can really make a man believe you love him, you have won him. There he met and later married one of the Sunday school teachers, Emma C. Revell. Although he was a convinced abolitionist, D.L. Moody did not enlist in the Union Army during the Civil War, claiming, there has never been a time in my life when I felt I could take a gun and shoot down a fellow being. In this respect, I am a Quaker. In his adopted city of Chicago, he helped to establish the city's YMCA as its first full-time employee. Yearning to teach the Bible, he went to the streets looking for children and street people to fill his Sunday school class at the North Wales Street Mission. By 1861, he was working full-time in both Sunday school and the YMCA, supported by Cyrus McCormick and others. When the Civil War broke out, Camp Douglas was established in Chicago. Seeing the need to hold services there, Moody helped form a YMCA Army and Navy committee and led daily services at the camp. At Camp Douglas, thousands of Confederate soldiers were interned, Union soldiers were constantly coming and going, and new recruits were gathered and instructed. Moody ministered to as many soldiers as he could. Among the new recruits were a large number of moody boys, and the moody boys were those that he had gotten to go to Sunday school by offering pony rides and candy. On Sunday and Monday, April 6th and 7th of 1862, the second great battle of the Civil War and one of the bloodiest, the Battle of Shiloh or Pittsburgh Landing, was fought in southern Tennessee. The Confederates lost 10,700 soldiers, while Grant's army lost 13,000. Over 100,000 were wounded. An emergency call went out for extra doctors, nurses, medical students, and volunteers. The news reached Chicago on Tuesday, and Moody quickly volunteered to be on the trainload of help dispatched from the city. Arriving at Pittsburgh Landing on April eleventh, eighteen 1862, Moody recounted, We were taking a large number of wounded men down the Tennessee River. A number of young men of the Christian Commission were with me, And I told them that we must not let a man die on the boat that night without telling him of Christ and heaven. You know, the cry of a wounded man is water, water. As we passed along from one to another giving them water, we tried to tell them of the water of life, of which if they would drink, they would never die. I came to a man who had about as fine a face as I ever saw. I spoke to him, but he did not answer. I sat down beside him and gave him brandy and water every now and then. I said to myself that I could not let him die without getting a message for his mother. Presently, he opened his eyes and Moody said to him, Yes, you are on your way home, but the doctor says you won't reach your earthly home. I thought I'd like to ask you if you had any message for your mother. His face lightened up with an unearthly glow as he said, Oh, yes, tell my mother that I died trusting in Jesus. It was one of the sweetest messages I ever heard in my life. D.L. Moody did deliver the message to the soldier's mother, and he made eight more trips to the front lines during the war. Moody traveled to New York to raise money to build his church, and while he was walking around there, he had a vision from the Lord, and the Lord said it was enough, and he returned to Chicago, and that's where he ended up preaching for the kingdom of God and not for social work. And he now devoted his immense energy solely to the evangelism of the world in general and his evangelistic campaigns. So when, in 1870, he heard Ira Sankey sing at a YMCA convention, he convinced Sankey to give up a well-paying government career to join him in his evangelistic crusades. Now I want to read you the account of what went on in Moody's life around the events of the Great Chicago Fire. In 1871, D.L. Moody was a well-known evangelical leader in Chicago. At the time, Moody was struggling with what God was calling him to do. He knew that he had to decide between being a social-religious organizer through the YMCA and being an evangelist. Deep down, Moody felt that God was calling him to a national evangelistic ministry, but he rejected the idea because his ego was tied up in his Chicago projects. His inner conflict began to diminish the power of his preaching. This became especially clear to two women in his church, Sarah Ann Cook and a Mrs. Cook Hawksworth Cook was a recent immigrant from England and a free Methodist and she became convinced that Moody needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost and a fire. The women began making this a matter of earnest prayer. They sat in the front row and prayed whenever Moody preached. The women shared their concern with Moody and eventually set up a regular Friday afternoon prayer time with him. Finally, Moody's spiritual frustration was so great that on October 6, 1871, as they met for prayer. He rolled on the floor and tearfully asked God to baptize him with the Holy Spirit and fire. The next Sunday night, October the 8th, Farwell Hall, a large YMCA building there in Chicago, was full as Moody preached on, What then shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? He closed his message by saying, I wish you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week. And next Sabbath, we will come to Calvary and the cross, and we will decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. Following the sermon, his song leader, Ira Sankey, sang, Today the Savior calls, For refuge fly, The storm of justice falls, And death is nigh. Suddenly, his voice was drowned out by the sound of fire engines rushing past the hall. Shouting could be heard in the streets, and Moody hurriedly closed the service. Moody and Sankey left through the back door and saw flames reaching the sky to the southwest, upwind from the city's downtown. Moody rushed home to his family as the southwest wind reached almost hurricane force. It was the Great Chicago Fire, and it lasted until the following Wednesday. The fire destroyed Moody's house, the Illinois Street Church, and Farwell Hall. Everything that held Moody to Chicago was in ashes, The only chain still binding him to Chicago was his own will. Weeks later, as he quietly walked down a busy street in New York City, that last chain snapped and he surrendered his will to God. He traveled to New York to raise funds to rebuild the church and the YMCA. But while walking down Wall Street, he felt what he described as a presence and power as he had never known before. So much that he cried aloud, Hold, Lord, it is enough. He returned to Chicago with a new vision, preaching the kingdom of God, not social work. That would change the world. He now devoted his immense energies solely to the evangelization of the world in this generation. Moody went on to become the leading evangelist in the English-speaking world at the end of the 19th century. He traveled more than one million miles and presented the gospel by voice and written word to more than 100 million people. On the 22nd anniversary of the Chicago Fire, Moody spoke reflectively, I have never seen that congregation since, and I never will meet those people again until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson I learned that night, which I have never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I have asked God many times to forgive me for telling people that night to take a week to think it over. And in the reflection section, it says, When we pray, it is of utmost importance that we pray that God's will, not ours, be done. God desires that we conform our will to His. Moody learned this lesson the hard way. Remember to be careful what you ask of God, because you just might get it. In the summer of 1873, Moody and Sankey were invited to the British Isles. I want to read you the story of how this transpired. Reading again from the one-year Christian history book. On June the 17th, 1873, Dwight L. Moody and his new, inexperienced song leader, Arisanki, arrived in Liverpool, England, with their wives and the Moody children, to hold evangelistic meetings. They had come at the invitation of three Christian men who had promised to pay for their travel expenses, even though they had never actually met Moody. Having exhausted all his own funds for the steamship tickets, Moody arrived in England only to learn that two of the men had died and the third had forgotten his promise. No arrangements had been made for any meetings. There was no sponsoring committee and no funds. They were stranded 3,000 miles from home. Moody said to Sankey, God seems to have closed the doors. We'll not open any ourselves. If he opens the door, we'll go in. If he doesn't, we'll return to America. At their hotel that night, Moody remembered that the one specific invitation he had received from England was from George Bennett, a young chemist in York, who was the founder and secretary of the local YMCA. Moody had only vaguely replied to Bennett's invitation when he first received it, telling Sankey, this door is only ajar. Moody now had the secretary of the Liverpool YMCA send Bennett a telegram. And this was the telegram, Moody here, are you ready for him? Since he had received no firm reply to his invitation, Bennett had not pursued the idea any further and had only told one person that he had sent the invitation. He was thus justifiably shocked when he received Moody's telegram saying he had arrived. He replied with a telegram to Moody, Please fix date when you can come to York. Moody replied immediately, I will be in York tonight, 10 o'clock. Make no arrangements till I come. Bennett appeared dazed as he met Moody at the train station that evening. Over supper, Moody suggested a course of action. I propose we make arrangements tomorrow, Saturday, to commence meetings Sunday. As they ate, they came up with a plan to have posters printed and posted on Saturday as soon as Bennett could find a place for him to preach. Starting that Sunday, Moody began holding services in local churches, including one pastored by F.B. Meyer. Initially, the meetings were only moderately successful, but for Meyer, the experience of having Moody preach in his church was life-changing. In the small vestry room of Meyer's church, Moody and Meyer prayed many hours for England, kneeling together at the leather-covered table in the center of the room. Moody later referred to that little room as the foundation from which the river of blessing for all England had sprung. For during the next two years, two and a half million people heard Moody preach throughout England. It was the greatest British revival since John Wesley's day. And in the reflection, it says, we all experience times when we are at the end of our resources and it seems as if God is not there. When this happens, the answers are to be found in our own prayer rooms where God will in time reveal himself. His timing may not be our timing, but His plan is perfect if we are willing to wait and put our trust in Him. And I read this in Charles Spurgeon's Faith's Checkbook this week. And I know there's a lot of people going through times of darkness. There's been accidents. There's been deaths. And this is the quote from Charles Spurgeon. Should the present time be one darkened by the raven wings of a great sorrow, let us glorify God by a peaceful trust in Him. I want to tell you this, after preaching in England and Scotland and Ireland, Moody returned to America as an internationally famous revivalist. And of his fame, Moody admitted, I know perfectly well that wherever I go and preach, there are many better preachers than I am. All that I can say about it is that the Lord uses me. My favorite story about Moody comes during this time when he was in the British Isles. In 1868 in Scotland, Elizabeth Clifford wrote a poem called The Lost Sheep. Also called the Ninety and Nine, it depicts the good shepherd leaving his flock of sheep to find the one that was lost. Sixteen years before, Elizabeth's brother George had left the family and gone to Canada. There he collapsed on a country road in a drunken stupor and died the next day. Elizabeth had often thought about the story of the good shepherd, fantasizing that Christ the shepherd had found her brother, the lost sheep, before his death. When asked to contribute a poem for a Christian magazine, she wrote this poem out of her grief and hope for her brother's salvation. In 1874, D.L. Moody, the American evangelist, and Iris Sankey, his song leader, went on an evangelistic tour of Scotland. On May 20th, the two men were on their way to Edinburgh for two days of meetings. Sankey picked up a newspaper called The Christian Age to read on the train. In it, his eyes were drawn to Elizabeth Cliffen's poem, The Lost Sheep. Its words moved him deeply, and he thought it would make an excellent evangelistic hymn. He enthusiastically read it to Moody, but then realized that Moody was busy reading a letter and had not listened to him. Nevertheless, Sankey ripped the poem out of the newspaper and began mulling over tunes in his head. The next day, May 21, 1874, the theme for the meeting at the Free Church Assembly Hall was The Good Shepherd. Moody and several other ministers spoke. The audience was deeply moved by the truths of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. After the messages, Moody, as chairman of the meeting, turned to Sankey and said, Have you a solo appropriate for this subject to close the service with? Sankey was startled to be put on the spot and quickly tried to think of something. Quote, At this moment, I seemed to hear a voice saying, Sing the hymn you found on the train. Sankey thought this was crazy because it was a poem without music, not a hymn. He had not yet had time to compose a tune. Moody and the audience waited, and again the thought came, sing that hymn. Sankey recalls, quote, placing the little newspaper slip on the organ in front of me, I lifted my heart in prayer, asking God to help me so to sing that the people might hear and understand. Laying my hands upon the organ, I struck the key of A-flat and began to sing. And that was the, there are ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, okay, as I read before. After the first verse, Sankey was afraid the other verses would sound different from the first. But he prayed, and the Lord gave him the same tune for the other verses, note for note. His voice was triumphant as he sang the final verse. But all through the mountains, thunder-riven, and up from the rocky steep, there rose a cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep! And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. The rapt audience was overcome with emotion, as was Moody. He said, Sankey, where did you get that hymn? I never heard the like of it in my life. Sankey replied, Mr. Moody, that's the hymn I read to you yesterday on the train, which you did not hear. And in the reflection, it says, The Lord seeks his lost sheep and rejoices when they are found. This story spoke powerfully to Elizabeth Seffen, Ira Sankey, D.L. Moody, and those present at the meeting on May twenty-first, 1874. What does it mean to you? Are you a lost sheep? Or are you safe in the fold and from luke 15:7, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to god than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away another interesting story i would like to share is about a time when dl moody faced a hostile audience and how that turned out i will be reading again from the one-year christian history book the year was 1882 The American preacher, D.L. Moody, had planned a week of meetings to evangelize the students of England's historic Cambridge University. On Sunday, November 5th, the first day of the meetings, many Christians from town and a few staunch Christians from the university attended a mass prayer meeting just before the first service. Moody spoke, and while some rejoiced at his message, others were appalled by his American accent and unsophisticated speech. At eight o'clock, the rented hall began to fill with rowdy university students, eventually numbering about 1,700. The brave choir began singing, mocked by students singing back their own songs. While some of the students constructed a pyramid of chairs, another threw a firecracker against a window. Pandemonium reigned. Then a door opened and in filed D.L. Moody, his song leader Ira Sankey, and several Christian faculty members and other clergy. A professor of botany offered an opening prayer, with some students yelling out, Hear, hear! Next, Ira Sankey sang the hymn, The Ninety and Nine. The audience listened in silence at first, but then began beating the floor with their canes and umbrellas as they shouted, Hear, hear! At the end of each song, there were cries of encore. When the boisterous interruptions ruined Sankey's singing of Man of Sorrows, he was close to tears. Several of the other offensive students were asked to leave, and Moody reminded the audience that this was not a political gathering. Then Moody began to preach on Daniel in the lion's den. Moody's monosyllabic pronunciation, "Daniel" was too much for the rabble-rousers, and they shouted back, "Daniel, Daniel!" each time Moody said the name. Whenever Moody used any American colloquialism or non-British pronunciation, there was loud laughter. The hecklers were led by a handsome young student in the front row. Moody kept looking him in the eye, but it was to no avail. Probably the majority of the students were listening, but the vocal minority made it difficult for them to do so. As the students returned to the university after the meeting, Gerald Lander, the handsome heckler from the front row, loudly announced, If uneducated men will come to teach the varsity, they deserve to be snubbed. The next morning, Monday, November sixth, 1882, a bellboy knocked on Moody's hotel door and handed him a personal calling card bearing the name Mr. Gerald Lander. Moody invited Lander to his room and recognized him instantly. The student said humbly, I want to apologize, sir, and I've brought a letter of apology from the men. Some of the more gentlemanly students, appalled at their companion's behavior, had written the apology and prevailed on Gerald Lander to deliver it. Reluctantly, he went to Moody as an English gentleman who realized that he had overstepped the bounds of propriety. Moody had a long talk with Lander and got him to agree to come again that night to the meeting to prove the sincerity of his apology. Little did Moody know that one day Gerald Lander, the disruptive leader of the students, would spend his life evangelizing southern China as a missionary. And from the Reflection, it says, When we hear stories like that of Gerald Lander, we realize how unlimited God is in whom he draws to himself. We must never exclude any names from our prayer list, thinking that it is unlikely that God will save them. Are there people for whom you have stopped praying, thinking their salvation unlikely? Don't give up. Our God specializes in accomplishing the unlikely. And from Genesis 18, 14, Is anything too hard for God? As I was doing some research for this program, I realized that something I have written on the first page of my Bible was a quote from D.L. Moody, and that quote is, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. Another Moody quote is, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. And my very favorite Moody quote is one that Lon Solomon used in his sermon about hope a few weeks back. Someday you will read in the papers, D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. As I conclude this program devoted to the life of Dwight L. Moody, I want to point out a couple of things. First, he was born in humble circumstances, one of nine children. He was an ordinary person, just like most of us, but he had a heart for God, and when God called him, he answered. It reminds me of Jesus calling the disciples, just ordinary men, nothing really special about them, until they decided to answer Christ's call to come follow me, and they did. And because they followed him for three years, and because they never stopped telling the story of how God raised him from the dead until they died, and nearly all of them died the death of martyrs, so Dwight L. Moody and thousands of others have continued to tell the story that never grows old. It is the greatest story ever told, and it is a life-saving story, a story of love and redemption and salvation. Moody attributed the power of the words spoken by Henry Varley as words God used to pierce to his inmost soul, and those words were, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Moody became that man, fully consecrated and fully committed to carrying out the Great Commission. Remember the story and the song about the lost sheep? Are you a lost sheep, or are you safe in the fold? People are dying every day some young and some old, some suddenly, some after long illnesses. But we all know that a 100% of us will die. None of us know when we will die, but we all need to be ready. Are you ready to die? Do you know where you will spend your eternity? Will it be heaven or hell? My hope today is that if you do not know Jesus Christ, that before this day is over, you will pray to God, asking Him to give you the faith to believe. If you pray earnestly, God will hear your prayer, and He will answer you. In closing, I would like to read a couple more verses from the 90 and 9. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through, ere He found His sheep that was lost. Out in the desert He heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. But all through the mountains thunder-riven and up from the rocky steep, There arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. From Romans 15 13, I pray that God, who gives you hope, will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. I pray that God will help you overflow with hope in him through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thank you for listening.
0: Yeah!
2: For Thee But the shepherd Made answer This sheep Of mine Has wandered Far From me And although The hills May be rough And steep I go To find my sheep, I I go go to the the desert desert to find.